Today, the sermon is titled, The Pursuit of Christ-Likeness. The question, how do we become like Christ? There's a book called The Pilgrim's Progress, written by Puritan John Bunyan. And in this book, Bunyan relates the vision of a man whom is his main character, Christian. And Christian sees this man sweeping a wooden floor in a large room. And while the man is sweeping, this massive cloud of dust pops up from it. And so he starts sweeping harder and faster. And it stirs it up more and more, gets more and more crazy. Creates this hopeless situation. There seems to be no end in sight until this young girl comes in and sprinkles some drops of water in the air, knocking all the dust down to the ground where they can sweep it into a nice pile and throw it away. This vision, Christian comes to understand, represents the pointless human effort to deal with sin apart from the gracious work of the gospel. Bunyan teaches us that our battle of fighting sin must be done in the power of the Holy Spirit through the gospel. In our efforts, if our efforts are separate from the work of the Spirit, they will prove to be pointless just like the sweeping of the man in Bunyan's tail. We cannot sanctify ourselves in our own strength. We can't do that any more than we can save ourselves in our own strength. And the problem is that it's super easy for us to sit back and live with our sin while we wait for the Holy Spirit to take out the trash. This is a misunderstanding of Bunyan's tail, and it's also a misunderstanding of the Bible. Here is the mystery of sanctification. How do people like us, who are born as slaves to a lifestyle of destructive, sinful behavior, how do we become people who are self-controlled, people who are loving, kind, compassionate, and gentle? Sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit works in us and our inner being and progressively changes us to become more like Jesus Christ. We are freed from the slavery of sin and Christ-like character is developed over time. Sanctification begins at our conversion when we are given a new heart and we're given the Spirit. This is what we call regeneration. And regeneration is the beginning of our sanctification, the beginning of our spiritual transformation. In sanctification, the Holy Spirit works in us, but he also brings about our response to cooperate with him in this. And this is all part of God's amazing grace. This is the pursuit of Christ-likeness. The Holy Spirit does this work of changing us, and we do our part through the power in which he gives us. Philippians 4.3, Paul says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The goal of sanctification is to become like Christ, to become holy. Look with me at Titus chapter 2, 11 through 14 again. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, tra training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, 
the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. The grace of God has come. Jesus has brought salvation to us. And he's also given us the wonderful gift of his spirit. And now by God's grace through the spirit, we are being trained to renounce, to put off, to put to death ungodliness and worldly passions that we once lived in. Also by the grace of God through the spirit, we are being trained to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. And this is all being done as we wait for the return of our Savior. Spiritual discipline is not about self-improvement. Growing in Christ is a wonderful thing, but it's not self-improvement. Look at 1 Corinthians 3, 6 and 7. Paul says, I planted, Apollo watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. We work alongside the Spirit. We share Christ. We take part in discipling others. We ourselves are discipled. But through this process, it's God who makes us grow. His Spirit does the work of growing us. Look at Romans 8, 29. It says, For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. This act of being conformed in the image of His Son, or the likeness of His Son. Christ's likeness is the goal of all Christ followers. And so it should also be our goal, along with the Holy Spirit's. And it's a lifelong process, one that will not be completed in our lifetime. It won't be completed until we're in glory with Jesus. The Spirit works through many things. Works through trials in our lives. He uses other people to encourage us. He uses other people to test us. He uses things outside of our control. And the Holy Spirit also uses us. He expects us to act, to work, to learn, to train, to fight. Listen to what Pastor Kevin DeYoung's analogy of boxing He gives this analogy in his book, The Whole in Our Holiness. He says, the Christian life still entails obedience. It still involves a fight, but it's a fight we will win. You have the spirit of Christ in your corner and he's rubbing your shoulders. He's holding the bucket for you before you get ready to go out for the next round with sin. He says, you're going to knock him out, kid. Sin may get in some good jabs. It may clean your clock once in a while. It may even bring you to your knees, he says. But if you are in Christ, it will never knock you out. You are no longer a slave. You are free. Sin has no dominion over you. It can't. It won't. He says, a new king sits on the throne. You serve a different master. You salute a different Lord. So today as we go through, I want us to look at two areas of worship connected to our sanctification. 
Go ahead and take out your Bibles and your note sheets, and let's look at point number one. Point number one, personal worship. Donald Whitney is the professor of biblical spirituality and the associate dean at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. Whitney teaches a class there on the spiritual disciplines. He also wrote a book on it. And in this book and in this class, he teaches about 10 disciplines. The disciplines of Bible intake, prayer, worship, evangelism, service, stewardship, fasting, silence and solitude, journaling, and learning. Whitney calls them spiritual disciplines. Another author and speaker, Jerry Bridges, calls them instruments of grace or means of grace. Pastor David Mathis calls them the habits of grace. And it's Bridges who said he strayed from the terminology of disciplines because of the negative connotation that the world has for discipline these days. But I want us to think, instead of thinking of them as a taxing work, think of them as empowering. Grace empowers our habits. Grace is empowered through the Spirit in our discipline. Look at 1 Timothy 4, verses 6 through 10. Paul tells Timothy, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed, having nothing to do with irrelevant silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while, the bod while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, for to this end we toil and we strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Train yourself, it says. Discipline yourself. We do this for growth. We need to take regular action to get more of God in our minds and in our hearts. Train yourself to imitate Christ, the Bible says. Doing so will make us more and more like Him. So I want us to focus on three of the habits, three of the disciplines today. Bible intake, prayer, and fellowship. These three, I believe, are where all the others flow out of. This is how we grow closer to Christ. We hear from his word, we talk to him through prayer, and we belong to a body in the local church. But the goal here is what I want to talk about. The goal is not to be incredible Bible readers. It's not to be excellent prayers, to be eloquent prayers, to be an awesome, faithful churchgoer. While all things are fine, the goal is to become like Christ and to know him. Jeremiah 9.24, but let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and that he knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. There is no 
discipline. There's no habit more important than the reading of God's Word. It's how we hear from God. It's how He tells us who He is. And more importantly, it's how He tells us who His Son, Jesus Christ, is. The Bible gives us the law of God. And the Bible tells us how we broke it. It's where we learn how Jesus died as a sinless, willing substitute for us. It's where we learn that we must repent and believe in Him. Believe in Jesus Christ who gives us salvation in Himself. It's in the Bible that we learn who Christ is and how we are to walk in His ways. God shows us how He wants us to live. How to find joy and satisfaction in Him. And the truth is that nothing, that none of this can be found anywhere except for in the Bible. So in our personal worship, or in our daily quiet time, our personal devotions, we must carve out time to read God's Word and then meditate upon it throughout the day. And this may seem obvious, but the truth is we need to be strongly encouraged to do this. I came across a survey in, from 2021 that found that 11% of Americans say they read the Bible daily. So then I thought to myself, okay, but that's Americans. What's, what's the percentage of Christians that read the Bible? 27% of Christians say they read it a few times a week. And even fewer say they read it about once a week, 12%. 11% of Christians say they, they read it a few times a month. And 5% say once a month. And in close to 1 in 8 or 12% admit that they rarely or never read the Bible. And I thought to myself, those are scary numbers. And, and I share this today not to make us feel guilty. If, if any of those stats reflect you, that's not why I'm reading that today. I'm reading it to remind us of the incredible blessing that comes from spending time in God's Word. Spending time with Him and hearing from Him. Look at Revelation 1 Verse 3, it says, Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of his prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. We do this to remember the reason why we are training ourselves. The reason we train is to encounter God's incredible transforming grace. The intaking of God's word is the most important thing that we can do in this life. And it's the number one way that the Spirit of God makes us like Christ. The Spirit of God works through the word of God. If we want to be changed, if we want to be more like Christ, we must discipline ourselves in the reading of the Bible. We must fight. We have to fight to hear the gospel. And this is part of what it means when we say preach the gospel to ourselves. Preaching the gospel to yourself. Hearing the words of Christ's work on the cross. Reading, reminding, remembering who Christ is and what he's done. This is the power. This is where the power is at. The power of the cross. 
the power of the Holy Spirit that's inside of you, the power of the gospel, it's in his word. All right, a practical application to help you with this. I highly suggest trying journaling. I've done a little bit of this. I like to take entire passages and just write them out either on paper or I actually get my iPad has this cool little pen that I can write on, but write them out. If anybody's ever been in my office, you've seen my sticky notes. I like to write verse or two on a sticky note and I stick them all over the place. Very helpful. Some of you are a little more artistic than others. I know lots of people like to draw art and work the words of scripture into their art. Whatever you got to do, whatever helps you. I encourage you, if you are the once-a-month reader, make it a goal to increase it. Make a goal maybe to start as once a week. But set a date. In three weeks, I'm going to increase it to twice a week. And then in a couple weeks after that, I'm going to increase it to three times a week. And work yourself up until you become a daily reader. Find ways to remind yourself. Notes, alarms on your phones, the most helpful one is to find a friend to encourage you. It's all about being intentional. The truth is we carry around Bibles in our pockets these days. I currently have three different Bible apps on my phone. So when anxiety creeps in, when anger or lust raises their ugly head, whatever the temptation is, whatever temptations you know you struggle with, go to your Bible. I guarantee you that every single temptation you have, there is a scripture in the Bible that will help you fight it. Meditate on your scriptures. Be proactive when temptation comes your way. I even suggest memorizing them. Go to your memorized verses when temptation comes knocking. Matter of fact, this next slide there's 12 gospel-rich passages for you right there. I suggest reading them, memorizing them. Write them down. I'll leave them up there for a minute. Incredible. How many, I mean, that's just a start. I stopped at 12. They're everywhere. Okay, so in taking God's Word, oh yeah, take pictures of it. That's the best idea. Yes. That happened first service too. Um, so the intake of God's word, and then we also need to go to God in prayer. We hear from God through prayer, I mean through his word, and we talk to God through prayer. Prayer and the intake of the Bible is all about relationship. We are children of God, and God wants to speak to us, and he wants to hear from us. David Mathis said this about prayer. He said, God is holy, so we worship him. We tell him how much we adore him. He says, God is merciful, and so we repent and confess our sins to him. He says, God is gracious, and so we express appreciation or give him thanks. And he says, God is loving and caring, so we ask him to bless us, to bless our families, our friends, to bless the world. Look at the early church in Acts 1.14. says, all of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Here's a few examples of Paul from his writings. He says in Romans 12.12, 12, he says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, 
Be constant in prayer. Colossians 4.2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Ephesians 6.18, he says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Prayer is a part of the Christian life. It's part of who we are. It's not a practice. It's a characteristic. There are a lot of great resources. I have a couple of book recommendations. The first one is an incredible help. It's a book called Praying the Bible by Donald Whitney, where he teaches you to use Scripture to guide your prayers. Tiny little book. It's a fantastic book. And then there's Tim Keller's fantastic book called Prayer, Experiencing Awe and Intimacy with God. It's a little bit thicker, but it's a, it's a great book as well. I also have these scripture prayer cards. There's a bunch of them in the back on the table. They kind of do the same thing. They give, you a, they give you a prayer from the New Testament, all written out with blanks for you to fill in who you're praying for or what you're praying for. Please take one. I have lots. Make prayer a part of your daily worship. Tim Keller says that prayer is essential for a genuinely lived relationship with God as our Father. Find a place, just as you do to read your Bible, to get alone and pray. We see throughout the Gospels that Jesus got alone to pray. And I just say, when you're praying, begin with the Bible. Use the passages that you've been using to help you fight sin. Use them as a guide for prayer. The more you do it, the more it will become part of your life. The other fact is that a lot of people struggle with the desire to do this. We struggle with the desire to even want to read the Bible and pray. And the answer is to ask God to give you that desire. Go to him, ask him to give you a desire to read his word and to pray. Adore, confess, thank him, ask him. After reading and meditating on the Bible, ask God to pray or praise God for the truth that he's revealed to you when you've read. Confess your sins and your failings to him. And then after you've confessed, give him thanks for the grace and mercy that he gives you for it. And then finally, the Bible says to ask him for the requests for yourself, for your family and friends. I also suggest journaling your prayers. I like to write out prayers all the time. But I want us to remember this. Prayer is an incredible privilege that Jesus Christ died for. We no longer need a priest to go to God for us. We have the great high priest who sits at the right hand of the God interceding for us. Romans 8.34 says, Who is to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. 1 John chapter 2, verse 1 says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. All right. I want us to end with point number two. 
Point number two is corporate worship. As Christians, we spend a lot of our time worshiping God alone in private. But the Christian life is not meant to be isolated. The Bible says that we are part of his church. God uses bodily language to describe it. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We are a corporate body with many members. All of us as believers have been united to Christ by faith. The church is not a building. It is a people assembled to gather together and express our unity in Jesus and to worship him. As a church, we are to gather regularly, it says, just like we're doing right now. God expects that his people will gather together to worship him. We find in the scriptures what we are to do when we gather. We read instructions about preaching the inspired word of God. All scripture is profitable for teaching, the Bible says. Timothy was told by Paul to preach the word. A regular part of most Christian services is a sermon based on God's word proclaimed. Proclaimed to encourage and strengthen and unify the people of God. So we gather together to hear from God through sermon and the proclaiming of the gospel. We also gather together to sing with one another. Ephesians 5.19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. The singing part of worship is designed to give our hearts a way to praise God, to praise Jesus for all that he has done to save us from our sins. We gather together to pray together. We read instructions about corporate prayer. Acts 2.42 says this, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. 2 Corinthians 1.11 says, You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. James 5.16 Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Praying together builds one another up. It edifies us. It grows us closer together and closer to Christ. We also read instructions about gathering together for the taking of the Lord's Supper and for baptism. We call these the ordinances. And they are to be done with the gathered church. Baptism is a once in a Christian lifetime event where the believers identify with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. And it's done through the immersion of water. We declare in the presence of a gathered body of Christ that we identify with Christ. The Lord's Supper is a repeated experience. We do it on the first Sunday of every month. Um, Some churches do it twice a month. Several churches do it every single week. Again, the Lord's Supper is something we do to remember Christ, to remember his body was broken for us. 
and that his blood was shed for us. Let me sum it up this way. We gather as the church, as the body of Christ. We do this because we are a redeemed people. We were bought by the precious blood of Christ who rescued us from our sins. We have been united with Christ through faith in him. So united together, we gather together. We do this weekly to express our joy and our thankfulness. And so I encourage us to fight to get here. It's hard. It can be hard. So many things pulling at our shirts. So many things trying to pull us here and there. Fight to get here. It's important. Because we are not just isolated Christians scattered throughout the world. We are a gathered church. And we do so to hear from God's word, to pray together, to sing together, and to celebrate Jesus Christ our Lord. Let's pray. Father, you're so good to us. And Lord, I especially thank you for the body of believers that you've given us here at New Creation. Thank you for the family that we are. We pray that your blessing would be upon us, Lord. Please, Lord, may we as your people worship you. Worship you as you deserve both our personal and our corporate worship. Lord, give us devotion to go to you in your word and in prayer. And Lord, I ask that you would light a fire in us, an unquenchable desire to seek you. Lord, please make us more like your son. Sanctify us through your word, through prayer, through gathering together. Lord, you are so worthy of our praise. Be glorified in your church, Lord. We love you. It's in Christ's name we pray.